Good morning. Uh, oh, people said good morning, Langdon. That's great. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Langdon. Oh, that's good. Maybe I needed that reminder, I don't know. I am so glad that to see all these faces, to see so many people, and uh, I really want to welcome anyone who's new with us. And if you're watching online, uh, a special welcome to you if someone gave you a Mark's Gospel or you got an invitation for this service in your letterbox. We're so glad that you can join us on this special, special day. Um, just a bit about myself. Thank you, Steve. A bit about myself. I don't come from a particularly devout family. Uh, sometimes we would go to church Christmas and Easter. And when I was in high school, I used to wonder if God was real and think, if God's real and you go to church just Christmas and Easter, is God cool with that? And so I went on a journey of uh, actually came down to this very church. When I was 15 years old, I didn't know anyone. I came to a morning service, but I started the journey of finding out who is Jesus. And as I started reading the Gospels, I actually read Gospels just like this Mark's Gospel that uh, we're looking at, I started to think about uh, who is this Jesus because who he is actually has implications for my life. That was the journey. And it's the, the question I asked was, who us today? It's a question Mark asks in Mark's Gospel. Who is Jesus? Who do th- people today think Jesus is? If we were to go out this afternoon, go down to Belmore Basin, chat to random people, who, what would people say? I've asked this question many times in different places around the world. Um, I've heard a number of answers. Who do you think Jesus is? He's a good teacher. He's a prophet. He's just a made-up story. He's a cult leader. Someone I remember saying to me said, he's an alien. He's from another planet. For some people, look at it a different way. They say, Jesus is a Panadol. He's there when I get sick. Take it. I'm good. For some people, he's a problem that just doesn't make any sense. For others, he's offensive. He's out of touch. And I think people's opinions change over, G- uh, over time. Uh, I don't know if you've ever started a new job or you've gone to a new school or something like that. You've met someone and we, we have first impressions, don't we? So sometimes you meet someone and you're like, oh, I really like that person. They're awesome. They're really funny. And then as you get to know them, you're like, oh, maybe less and less. But other times, you know, the other way, you meet someone and say, oh, I don't know. But then you get to, your opinions change. You get to know them and you're like, yeah, I like, I like that person. I think for some of us, our journey is like that with Jesus. We ask who Jesus is and, and we might like him at the beginning but then as we get older, we sort of start thinking, no, I don't know if I'm into Jesus. This morning, as we come, we're looking at the death of Jesus. I want to be asking that very question. Who is this Jesus? Peter uh, and the disciples are with Jesus. And Jesus asks his disciples in Mark chapter 8. He says to the disciples, who do people say I am? He asks that very question. But there's also a time when he says to them, what about you? Who do you say I am? And that's the question this morning. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? So I'm going to go through this, have a look at this passage, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, pray with me. I'm going to ask God to show us this morning, who is this Jesus? Pray with me. Dear God, whether we're at home 
right now, whether we are uh, right here, we're asking this question this morning as we look at Jesus' death, who is Jesus? Would you reveal that to us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're looking at the passage, we're on page 77 in the Mark's Gospel that you've got, looking at Mark 15, and it's Easter time. And the time as we begin this passage, it's early morning. I got up this morning at 6am, the sun coming up. It's early morning. And the night before, there's been great disruption. It's Passover time, it's festival time. But Jesus has been arrested after being betrayed. He's been tried before the religious leaders, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He's been beaten mercilessly by Roman soldiers. He's been condemned to death. And we meet Jesus as he's being led through the streets of Jerusalem on the way to the cross. And he's carrying a massive beam, a massive beam of the cross on his way to be crucified. And as they're walking along, the soldiers force this guy, Simon of Cyrene, as he was coming in from the field to carry Jesus' cross. Now, Simon, Cyrene's place in Africa, but it sounds like he's got a field, so maybe he's a business person, We we don't know. But what we do know is, I bet Simon didn't plan on being a part of history that day. I bet he was just doing his business doing his business, strolling through, maybe sees a commotion, has a look what's happening. And the soldier, as the Roman soldier had the power to do, conscripted him, you must carry his cross. Simon's plans are wrecked now. But there he is walking alongside Jesus. He would have heard and seen and smelt the sweat and the pain and the blood of Jesus. And he would have heard the insults and and things people were yelling at Jesus. He would have endured that too. Who do you think Simon thought Jesus was? Then they led Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. You may know the place is Calvary, but this was a place where probably executions took place. They've led Jesus out of Jerusalem, through the city gates, out to this infamous notorious place associated with death. And they gave Jesus, soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Why would they do that? Doesn't that seem like a nice thing to do? I don't think so. They're getting him ready to be crucified. So they want to prolong his life. They actually want to keep him alive. So giving him a little wine is going to help him get to the next stage to prolong his pain. Then they crucified him and divided up his clothes by casting lots to see who got what. The soldiers nailed Jesus' hands to the cross. Those soldiers nailed Jesus' feet to the cross, to that vertical beam. And the soldiers knew as any Roman did, how dreadfully intimidating it was for anyone who saw that to even think twice about crossing the Roman. The soldiers knew how excruciating the pain was. The soldiers know that the, the victim would die slowly through asphyxiation. 
with each muscle straining to get every breath. And then those same soldiers played a game to see who's going to get Jesus' last possessions. What they didn't know is what they were doing was an act actually foretold in Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before. They didn't know that. They're just doing their job. And as they divided up his clothes, what did you think they thought of Jesus? Who did those soldiers think Jesus was? It was now the third hour, and they crucified him. It's now 9am on Friday morning. For us here in the room, it's 20 to 11. But consider, 9am this morning. 9am on Friday morning and Jesus is hanging, dying, on a cross. Above him is an inscription of the charge. That's what you would do. Anyone who was crucified would have their charge written above them. Murderer, thief, whatever it is. Fastened to Jesus' cross was the inscription, King of the Jews. He probably got this uh, written for him because earlier he was with Pilate. Pontius Pilate, the governor. And he didn't know, he wasn't trying to work out who's Jesus. He was asking the same question. And he actually says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, if you say so. And so we end up with this charge written against Jesus. It's a sign, it's mocking Jesus as a king. Probably so people would walk past. What do you think they thought when they saw this sign? Probably think, what sort of king is this? Hanging on a cross. If you're a king, where's your kingdom? Your kingdom's dead like you are. The king has come to humiliation and death under the power of Rome. What would you think if you saw this scene? Next to him are two criminals also being crucified. One on his right, one on his left. Alongside Jesus, they are in pain and agony watching Jesus die as they also suffer their punishment. But here's the thing. Those criminals were guilty for a crime. Even Pilate, when he was with Jesus, couldn't recognize Jesus' crime. But those guilty criminals are watching Jesus die. As they are dying, they're watching Jesus die. And those passing by insulted him. They shook their heads and said, Oh, the destroyer of the temple, eh? And the one to build it again in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. Jesus came into town last Sunday. And you know what? When he came in, there were cheers, there were crowds, people were excited. Many expected him to be the Messiah. Many expected him to be the restoring national leader. And there was a time, you've got to imagine a week ago, these people, many of them would have followed Jesus, many would have respected Jesus, many uh, would have called themselves believers in Jesus, but now they've turned on him. They're insulting him. They're verbally abusing, they're shaking his heads at him. They're looking back at what he said about the temple, building it in three days, and they're like, here's another guy with empty promises. 
Just another one. And they mock him. Come down for the cross. Save yourself. Who did these people think Jesus was? Are they like us? Is there a time, you know, in some times that we've looked back at Jesus, you know, and we've been in love with Jesus, we've been all about Jesus, now we're at a time in life where it just doesn't, we just doesn't make sense. We've changed our minds about Jesus. Has our view changed? Likewise, the chief priests, along with the scribes, they're chuckling among themselves. They're like, this is great because we've spent all this time trying to get rid of Jesus. He's a bit of a threat to us. We don't like him. He mixes things up too much, but we've got rid of him. We're proud. We're happy. We're chuckling amongst ourselves. And these are the same religious people who also would like to test Jesus. So they do it again here. If you're the Christ, you know, save yourself, come down from the cross. If you do that, then we'll believe in you. They demand signs. If he does this, then we'll believe. Do you think they actually meant that? Do you think they actually honestly would do that? Do you think they were actually open to the truth of who Jesus was? Or was their mind already made up? Who did these religious, these chief priests think Jesus was? And then we come back to those criminals hanging by their own crosses. Now they start abusing Jesus. If Jesus wasn't the lowest of the low, now he's got two criminals mocking him as well. Doesn't get more humiliating than that. What did these criminals think about Jesus? When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole earth until the ninth hour. Darkness over the whole land. Three hours of darkness from noon till 3 p.m. in the middle of the day. How would this have affected the people? Were they scared? That would have been pretty freaky. How could they explain it? An eclipse? It was Passover. It was a full moon time. It can't have been an eclipse. Did they remember the words of the prophets who talked about darkness being associated with God's judgment? Or did they connect with Roman or Greek culture that would associate darkness with death of great men? Or did they associate this darkness with Jesus? Did they connect that with Jesus? Did that darkness reveal more about who Jesus is? Then at the ninth hour,
It's 3 p.m. Jesus has been on the cross for six hours. This afternoon, when you're at home, wherever you are, when it's 3 p.m., think about what you've done between 9 p.m. and 3 p.m. And remember that, think about Jesus hanging on the cross for six hours. And out of that darkness, there comes a stark sound. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lima, Sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out. He's quoting Psalm 22. He's quoting David. Every syllable would have been painful. Every word would have been so hard as his muscles used every bit of strength. He's in agony. He's in despair. But he also knows he's gone to the cross willingly. He knows this is God's plan. He knows this is the only way to redeem the world. But right now, he is feeling the full weight of the cross, the full weight of punishment, the full cup of God's judgment of the world, the full force of all the sin, the pain of being forsaken, the anguish of all the sin, of all the world, of all history, cutting him off from his intimate relationship with the Father, and it's all being poured on him on the cross. Yet Jesus sees God is in this, in his suffering and his pain. Who is this Jesus that would go on and die on a cross and take the sin of the world? Those standing there, Heard him say this. They think he's calling out to the prophet Elijah. One, you know, they'd run and and grab a, a sponge with some wine. Were they mocking him? Were they trying to help? The people watching, taking in all of this. What did they make of Jesus now? And then Jesus lets out a great cry and his final breath. He breathed his last breath. Jesus is dead. The curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. The temple where the great curtain that was shielded people from God's holy glory into the holiest part of the temple is now torn away. Now, here's the thing. This thing is a tapestry. It is about 80 feet. That's about 24 metres or seven storeys high. It's been crafted with marvellous skill, and it's torn from top to bottom. It represented the barrier that separates God and humanity. It represented the, the sacrificial temple system, and now... It's destroyed. And then we come to the last character we're going to meet this morning. Because most people we've met have seen Jesus' death and they've rejected him. But we meet our last observer, a centurion. He wasn't Jewish. He's a Gentile, a Roman, a commander of a 100 soldiers. He's a battle-hardened campaigner. He's been promoted through the ranks. He's probably in charge of this whole operation of crucifixion. And here he is watching Jesus' last breath. 
And when the centurion standing opposite saw that he had breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion saw something in Jesus' death, something those that just passed by did not see. Who did the centurion think Jesus was? He tells us, he says, He, this man, was the Son of God. As I said before, I've asked many people who they think Jesus is. I've had all sorts of answers. I uh, remember a couple of girls in Helsinki saying, I've never heard of that Jesus before. I've had uh, people saying, you know, all sorts of different things. But the number one response, if we were playing Family Feud now, do you know what the number one response would be that people have answered that question? People will say to me, Jesus is the Son of God. And I'll say, oh, that's, you know, why do you say that? And many people might give me an answer, but I've often had people say, you know what? I don't know. I just heard that Jesus is the Son of God. What does it actually mean that Jesus is the Son of God? What's the centurion talking about? Jesus being the Son of God is two things I want to say. Firstly, Jesus is God. God became a man. And 2,000 years ago, became a man in the person of Jesus. He was fully human, fully God. And he had the most intimate relationship with God. Fully obedient, intimate with God. All about doing God's will. But as well as being God... Jesus is also a king. Son of God uh, is synonymous with a Jewish term, Messiah. It means not just king, but promised king. Jesus is the promised king that uh, Israel had been waiting for. And, uh, earlier, Joe shared a verse from Isaiah, pointing, making people aware this king is coming. Now, here's the thing. That centurion already had a king. His name was Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Do you know what one of his titles was? Son of God. But something now has changed in the centurion, hasn't it? Something's changed up here and in here. Because the centurion is now saying, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. He's recognizing that Jesus has authority. Jesus is far above the emperor far above the state of Rome. Jesus is the one with power. Not because Jesus has a big army and has conquered a nation, but he sees Jesus suffering and he sees Jesus' death. And I want to say that it's through, it's only by seeing Jesus in his death that the centurion truly sees who Jesus is. And so I want to ask us this morning, in light of Jesus' death, in light of the question that we asked earlier, that Jesus asked his disciples. If Jesus said to you, who do you say I am? How would you answer Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? If we come to the conclusion that Jesus is, the, as, as the same conclusion as the centurion, that Jesus is the son of God, that has an effect that was my journey, coming to that point. If I believe this to be true, that has implications. Because if Jesus was the Son of God, that has an effect on what his death 
on the cross means. It means that if Jesus was God, then it's true what the Bible says, that Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus never sinned, which means his death on the cross wasn't for his punishment. It was for someone else's. In fact, it was for mine. It was for the whole world. Jesus had this perfect, intimate relationship with God. He never sinned. When Jesus went to the cross, he was taking my sin, your sin, the whole world, all history, all people who will ever live, all on Jesus on the cross. What is this sin that he's taking? It's sin as rebellion against God. We all do it. It's, it comes out in our thoughts our actions and our attitudes. And it's when we keep God socially distanced, we ignore God out of our lives, that's sin. We all do it. And the punishment we deserve for that is death. What does Jesus' death teach me? It teaches me that sin is a serious, serious issue. I don't like to think about it every day, but the reality is sin provides a barrier between us and God. I've got this little response card. Those in the room have one of these. If this is God, this is me, sin is like a barrier. There's nothing, no good works, nothing I can do, no amount of religion, going to church, nothing can get in the way of this barrier of sin. Jesus' death was for our sins. He knew we need to be rescued. He knew this needed to be taken away. So Jesus' death tells me that sin is a pretty big deal, maybe a bigger deal than I give it credit for. But Jesus' death also means that if Jesus is going to come and die for us, God's love must be bigger than our sin. God knows we need to be rescued. And God sends the only rescuer that can do the job. His son, Jesus. And you know when he's hanging on the cross and people mock him to save himself? His love for me, his love for you kept him on that cross so that he could take the punishment we deserve for our sin. And he died. But the great, great news is, we're going to celebrate this on Sunday, that Jesus rose again from the dead. He is fully alive and he is now king. I remember sharing this with a lady a few years ago and she said, Langdon, that is great news. I didn't know that. This is new to me, she said. That means that Jesus died for everybody. We're all forgiven. We're all, we're all redeemed. We're all going to heaven. I said, no, absolutely. Jesus died for everyone, but we have to respond. We actually have to accept that which Jesus has done for us. And we do that by believing. See, believing isn't just knowing in our minds. Believing is actually believing and trusting with our hearts. Some of you will know, some of you, this might be a, a thing you haven't heard before, but this famous verse from John's Gospel, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Listen to this, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We need to not just know it in our heads, but we actually have to agree with it. 
we actually have to come to the stage, and maybe that's a journey for you, as it was for me, but we have to come to the stage of do we believe it? And if we believe something, then it's actually got to change the way we live. Now, I have had a number of moments in my life where there's been things that have rocked my world in big ways and small ways. Excuse me. I'm just going to grab my cup of tea here because I want to show you. I don't even know who showed me this. Maybe my nana or someone. You know when you have a cup of tea and it's, you pull it and it drips out? Someone showed me that if you get it and you go whack, whack, two whacks, no water. That changed the way I drink tea. So if you get nothing else out of this, I'll put this down. Anyway, but I found out and I'm like, I'm never going to drip my tea bags again. This is great. But you know what? It's not completely life-changing. A year ago, we all heard news, didn't we? We heard about COVID. And hasn't it changed our world? Didn't it change our lives? I remember here, we had to change the way we did services here. In all of this, the way we work, we're still living out those changes. That was news, and we had to respond to the change. But I want to say COVID has nothing, nothing on the, on the implications of Jesus, God's Son, coming down and dying on the cross for our sins. We've got to respond to it, no matter what we do, at some time in our lives, we have to respond to it. Because if we believe Jesus is God, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, we have to respond. And the appropriate response is to put our trust in Jesus. Just like that centurion had to, to, to make that decision, am I going to keep on seeing Rome on the top of my list? Is Rome, is the emperor my king? He went to saying, no, I can see who Jesus is, the son of God. Jesus is the king. He's the son of God. And we need to say, I'm willing to trust in Jesus to rescue me from my sins. Not myself, not the things I do, not who I am, not where I've come from. We need to trust in Jesus for our sins. But we also need to trust in Jesus to be the king of our lives. To actually say, from now on, I'm not going to live as my own king. I'm going to let Jesus be the king. I'm going to trust him with my whole life. I'm going to submit to following Jesus. And it is the biggest decision you can make. I started off asking, who do you think Jesus is? Now I'm asking you another question. Will you today put your trust in? In Jesus. Will you today put your trust in Jesus? Because there comes a time to decide. I imagine this clock, I would like to think of a clock sometimes as people who are wondering about Christianity, who are wondering about who Jesus is. I know for me, my journey was, you know, when I was young, we went to Sunday school. Uh, or Christmas and Easter, and maybe I got to three o'clock. You know, uh, I had a couple of small experiences. I met a Christian in high school. Maybe it got me to six o'clock. When, when I was 15 years old in '94, and I came to Christ, and I started hearing the gospel, it moved my clock until the time I gave my life to Christ. It was a long journey. Bavna in the video shared her 
her journey. Some people may be like the centurion. They just hear the see Jesus once, all the way around. They come to Jesus, maybe without the sound effect. But for some people, it's a long, slow journey, and maybe they have bad experiences. Maybe their clock goes backwards sometimes. For others, maybe you're in this room, you actually, your clock has gone around. You've come to that point of 12, of giving your life to Christ. But even so, maybe you're feeling a bit detached, maybe you're COVID, maybe you've sort of let go of trusting in Jesus for your sins, let go of making Jesus your king. There comes a time to decide, who am I trusting in? Am I really going to take Jesus' death? Am I going to put my trust in it? There comes a time to say, I need to put my trust in Jesus. It's the most important decision you will ever make. And I encourage everyone I ever meet and get to talk with about this. At some point in your life, you've got to respond to Jesus. He demands a response. So if you hear something this morning, don't go away and ignore it. You've got to respond. And this morning, we've been praying that today is that day for many of you. For some of you, today is the day that you're going to respond. And you know, because God is telling you right now, deep in your heart, whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online, today is the day I must respond to Jesus. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And after that song, we're going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to show you that prayer. And this prayer can be your decision time. Your time to say, I'm going to put my trust in in Jesus. And as we hear this song, ask yourself, if Jesus is the Son of God, if he really did die on a cross for your sins, if you sense him in your heart asking you right now to put your trust in him, I ask you, how can you refuse him now?